Here's a few exciting scenes from tonight's episode of The Tom Gully Show. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes you meet people on the internet and you never do anything, but you like their pictures of food and cats and visits to their really terrible-looking elderly relatives. But other other cases, you get to be on their radio shows, and I got to be on this guy's show a while back. That's why we're so excited to welcome Artie. Pronounce your last name for me, would you? It's not Demadia. Demadia. It's good. That's why I go by Artie before. It's just a lot easier, you know? Yeah, yeah. Who is a stand-up comic, talk show host, DJ, musician, designer, and as you can hear in the background, dog owner from the Boston area. He's also aspiring to be a Boston Red Sox beat writer, which we're going to talk about. Have you ever had anybody come up to you after you've done your, your set and like, like, you know, read you the riot act about something you said and, and, um, not on the, not doing, not doing standup, but I've definitely gotten some after my podcast, after I released it about stuff I talked to and indirectly, People came up and said stuff that they didn't like or liked about it, but I like I explained to them, like I explained to anyone who, has, who wants to criticize comedy, it's, it's comedy. It's meant to be funny, and if you don't find it funny, then that's fine. It's not your cup of tea. But there's other people that may find it funny, and if you don't like it, then maybe that's not your type of comedy. Maybe you should go and watch Ellen DeGeneres because maybe that's more up your speed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's just you can't criticize someone from trying to be funny. And saying something, and if you don't, you know, agree with it, then you know it's fine. I'm, you know, you're not going to make 100 percent of the people happy. And I, then you know, you just don't listen to them anymore. You know, I, I, I can't ever. You know, I get, I used to get it all the time because of the kind of act I did. You know, I'd get off the stage. Now I yeah. got a lot of people that would come up and you know they want to buy you a drink and talk to you and all that, and that's cool, that's fun. But I would get. You know, I'm not going to say they were all women, but okay, they were all women. They would come up to me and just really be mad. And I would be like, you do realize you came into a comedy club. One might suspect that not everything I said was meant to be taken seriously. Yeah. Well, so do you um, uh, like hecklers or do you not like hecklers? I don't mind them. I think it's funny. I kind of, well, I'm I'm kind of like really passive aggressive of them. (laughs) <laughs> if I do get them, I kind of just like say, yeah, you know, I really do suck. I'm like, you know, I kind of just, I kinda, you kind of just insult yourself and go along with it. And then that way you're kind of embracing it. And it kind of takes them off guard a little bit. So instead of just firing back at them, because I, I feel really uncomfortable in this comics firing back at people in the crowd. It's just like, there. it's like an argument. It's like being at a dinner table and, you know, all of a sudden the spaghetti hits the wall, you know, and everyone just, it's very awkward. It's awkward for everyone. But I think if you kind of embrace it or you kind of you know, play off of it, I think everyone can enjoy it a little bit better because now the crowd's not feeling uncomfortable that you're feeling uncomfortable. And I think it kind of actually brings it all home. And then actually, at the end of the day, it makes the person heckling look like an ass, and everyone else kind of just joins in. Instead of you, you know, like uh, what Michael Richards did a few years ago, like that's like, uh, that's when you just totally lost it. And then all of a sudden, it just looks terrible. You know, no one enjoyed the show. It just became, it was just, it was a plane that literally crashed into the ocean. Or you can embrace the heckler, and you can be like Sully and nicely land the, the plane in the Hudson, and everyone walks away. You know, you can look at it both ways. Watch the recaps in the morning. I'll print out the box scores when I get to the office. I'll sit there. I'll uh, run my lunch time. I'll, I'll come up with a few ideas. I'll blot them out. Sit there for a couple hours. Go back through it. 
So I got a little system going on now, which is nice because now I get this rhythm going and then it's like starting to come out easily and I get got a format and there's some like get starting to get a little following and shit. And I get some haters as well too, which is actually hilarious. So the the haters, they're how you know you're really doing good. Yeah, right. It, 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 but there's one guy that literally follows me every day, and if I miss a period, he's the first to let me know. That means you're pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. It's time, America. Mr. and Mr. North and South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. So sit back, buckle in, place your tray table in its upright locked position, and get ready for big time radio, friends. It's time for... Tuesday, March 21st, 2017, episode 258. I'm Tom Gully, and tonight on The Tom Gully Show, Artie84, yeah, that's his name that he goes by. Yeah, he's a whole lot of things. He's a comedian, a DJ, a sports writer. He's behind a great website called The Packy at thepacky.com. That's P A C K I E. He's also a great storyteller, and you can hear one of those stories by going to the link in our post for this podcast at thetomgullyshow.com. And right now, he's also on a quest, a quest to become a Boston Red Sox beat writer. We'll talk sports, stand-up comedy, Major League Soccer, and whatever else crosses our minds as we talk with the guy from Boston You'll be able to tell that by his accent as we get to know Artie 84 tonight on the Tom Gully Show. Ladies and gentlemen, the chief hope of our enemies is to divide the United States along racial and religious lines and thereby conquer us. Let's not spread prejudice. A divided America is a weak America. Through our behavior, we encourage the respect of our children and make them better neighbors to all races and religions. Remind them that being good neighbors has helped make our country great and kept her free. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes you meet people on the Internet and you never do anything, but you like their pictures of food and cats and visits to their really terrible-looking elderly relatives. But in other, other cases, you get to be on their radio shows, and I got to be on this guy's show a while back. That's why we're so excited to welcome Artie. Pronounce your last name for me, would you? It's not Demadia. Demadia. It's good. That's why I go by Artie 84. It's just a lot easier, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
who is a stand-up comic, talk show host, DJ, musician, designer, and as you can hear in the background, dog owner from the Boston area. He's also aspiring to be a Boston Red Sox beat writer, which we're going to talk about. Um, I don't know whether to have you tell the story now. I think maybe we'll send it, uh, save it for later. But I want okay. my I want my listeners to be able to hear that story you told of when you were in Florida and you went to that girl's family wedding. Oh, <laughs> yes. Uh, unless, story. unless story. unless you got somebody there and you want to keep it under wraps, but uh, folks, no, if, no. if you if you if you stay to the ending, I guarantee you're going to be rewarded <laughs> with one of the best stories you've ever heard. So, um, a couple. Here's the deal. Well, I'll never forget. <laughs> I'm never going to forget it, man. I was sitting there just transfixed. I'm like, this story just keeps getting better and better and better. Um, <laughs> A couple years ago, you completed your mission because you got this great website. Let's back up a little bit. I'm a little scatterbrained here tonight. What, what the, you've got a website called The Packy that follows yeah. uh, Boston area sports it's, and national sports. It's uh, The Packy, P-A-C-K-I-E. What, what does that stand for? Is that like what you guys call a package liquor store or a convenience store? It, it, Exactly. Yeah, that's a uh, Boston slang for a, a package store, which would be where you buy your liquor and your beer and all that stuff. Yeah. So, so essentially, it's, it's, it's like uh, kind of like a the idea when we set it up was kind of like Boston Sports. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's, that's another Boston-based sports comedy blog type thing. You know, um, we're we're set, we set it up to kind of be like a kind of not competitor, but kind of the same idea, the same angle. You know, to entertain. Uh, People during the workday who need something interesting to read while they're sitting in the office pretending to work. I am familiar with Barstool just because Pat McAfee uh, recently signed with Barstool. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hate him. So, uh, and, you know, <laughs> the reason that I hate him, actually, you might appreciate, is that Pat McAfee, while he was with the Colts, decides he's a stand-up comedian. And that just, yeah. that really... That just made me mad. I mean, it's like, dude, you are not a stand-up comedian. You are a sports celebrity who people will come mm-hmm. to see who might be a little bit funny, but until you play the Chuckle Hut in Shelbyville, Indiana, and have to go with three other comics on a caravan tour, you are not a stand-up comedian. But no, Barstool Sports, however, uh, kicks butt. So you, yeah. a couple years ago, completed a mission to go to every single major league ballpark. And I read where you've been to 49 of the 50 states. Which of the 50 Correct. states did you not get to yet? Hawaii. It's the only uh, the non-land associated state is the only one. That is the last. My, my goal initially was all 30 ballparks before I was 30, all 50 states before I was 50. So 32, I still got 18 years to get to Hawaii. At this point, so not bad. You'll get there. Yeah. Take lots, of, yeah. take lots of money. It's expensive as hell. Um, so you're got you you launched on this thing where you want to be a beat writer for yes. uh, anybody really. How is that going? Because I've been reading your articles and they're really really good. And you're starting off actually in spring training. Yeah. So basically, I, I attempted this a couple of years ago in the regular season and. Uh, I had so much stuff going on, I really couldn't focus on it. But uh, 
essentially what I basically what I wanted to do is to watch a game every game, keep track of the team, and kind of not just report on the game, but kind of get my input, kind of add my comic uh, ability to it to make it a little more entertaining than just reading about a box score, you know. Uh huh. But uh, so so my goal is I'm like let me start in spring training that way I can get myself my feet wet a little bit and so I got a routine now. So now it's basically I'll, I'll catch the game sometimes at night. I'll watch the recaps in the morning. I'll print out the box scores when I get to the office. I'll sit there. I'll uh, run my lunch time. I'll, I'll come up with a few ideas. I'll blot them out. Sit there for a couple hours. Go back to it. So I got a little system going on now, which is nice because now I get this rhythm going and then it's like starting to come out easily and I get got a format and there's some like get starting to get a little following and shit. And I get some haters as well too, which is actually hilarious. So the the haters they're how you know you're really doing good. Yeah, right. But uh, there's one guy that literally follows me every day, and if I miss a period. He's the first to let me know. That means you're pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so so have you picked a, a, a forum? I mean, do, do you care if you're on Rant Sports or Bleacher Report or Yahoo Sports or Vice? I mean, do you care about that? I mean, are you trying to be a beat writer for a major Boston area newspaper or do you just are you looking for an outlet that's bigger than the one you got now with the Packy? I'm actually kind of using, so kind of maybe launch the Packy to make it a little bigger. I'm, I'm, it would be nice to write for one of the big sports teams or, you know, my dream would be right for the Red Sox going to travel with them, you know, going to, uh, you know, city to city, just writing about something I really enjoyed. But um, if, I, I kind of did this more as a kind of a self-promotion thing and try to see if I can try to build some kind of, some kind of mini fan base to kind of help the Packy out. Because right now we got like three writers to write for the Packy. And uh, we all do it for free and just a volunteer time and stuff. And uh, actually, Adam was on the radio show with me. He's uh, on on there. And uh, it, it's just something we kind of do in our spare time, trying to, you know, if we can make money off it someday, it would be nice. And over the last couple of years, it's, it's definitely, we started in 2013. And around 2015, it just started, you know, really picking up and stuff. So. That's the end of goal. It's just after this experiment's over, see if I could actually pull some people into this, uh, you know, website and blog, and see if I could actually, you know, get a, a following, you know, that people routinely watch, uh, go there and, you know, check out the media and stuff like that. And you know, if something came along and it was like, uh, you know, the Red Sox calling and said, "Hey, listen, you know, the beat writer," I'll be like, you know, what? maybe I'll consider leaving the architecture and uh, going to work uh, for the Red Sox, you know. Yeah, you never know. Never know. Um, there's, you know, a lot of uh, pretty boring sports sites out there. So uh, I think yeah. you, I, I like what you guys are doing. Um, as you know, I don't care about any of sports except for soccer, which is weird because I'm on sports stations. You know, that, that's like my <laughs> job. So I know yeah. a, I know a lot about all the sports. You know, because when you grow up in the United States, you're going to just get hammered with it. You might as well just. Uh, go along with it and why do you think people hate the patriots so much i think it's the same reason people hate the yankees at some point i mean it's it, it, people hate them but there's other parts of the country a lot of people actually really like them just like the yankees i mean you go to the west coast and find some yankees fans out there you can also find some patriots fans i think it's more, more or less a, it's a team that is dominant that will beat your team that 90 percent of the time puts out a good product um, I think it's a lot different than like the Cubs or the Red Sox used to be, where they were lovable losers, where people liked them because 
they always lost, and it was a big deal for them if they won. Um, so people who were fans for like the Sox and the Cubs from coast to coast, when they won, they were more embraced because, oh, you finally did it. Now, I guarantee you, the Red Sox started failing this a few years ago when they started winning, and the Cubs will if they continue winning. That these All these lovers will be, all of a sudden become haters, you know, and you'll find that your fan base changes dramatically. Well, and the Cubs had that thing where they were on Channel 9, WGN, which was huge. It was like, um, gosh, people don't even remember that TBS started off as WTBS out of Atlanta. It was a regular TV station, like, you know, any other. And it was just like WGN is. You know, you can watch their afternoon news, their morning news, all of that. Bozo's Circus was on in the morning. And they were so huge at the beginning of cable. They were on every single cable station across the nation. And so people, that's why there's Braves fans in Utah and Cubs fans Mm -hmm. in in Washington and all that. Uh, But my thing about the Patriots is people don't like them because they win so much. That that's that's the deal there. I mean, it's like I see people and I'm from Indianapolis originally. So there, there's okay. a deep hatred of the Patriots there. And it's, well, why do you, why don't you like them? Well, because they always beat the Colts. That's why. There's no, sure. there's no yeah. other reason is they always beat them. And um, it, it's, it's kind of silly. Uh, I think Bill, Bill Belichick is without question the best professional football coach since Vince Lombardi. It, there's just, you can't even argue that point. I don't know why people even try. Because that guy, you know, uh, Jimmy Johnson for a while down here in Dallas, he did sort of what Belichick always does. He finds like seventh round draft picks yeah. that fit into his system and they never miss a beat. They He just he just plugs them in and off they go. It's true. And, and you know, it, it, the thing is, too, uh, a good coach is only as good as, you know, finding these like diamond in a rough like that Malcolm Butler, unsigned free agent that, you know, undrafted free agent, rather, that played for, like, you know, Division One school in the, in the depths of Mississippi that no one even thought about. Um, but Belichick has his connections, and he knows who to look for, and he knows people come to him and be like, hey, I got this guy, keep an eye on him, you know? And it's also not so much just coaching a player. It's also knowing how to manipulate the rules to your advantage, as anyone does. To get an advantage, there's ways to to manipulate things and to use it to your advantage by stretching to, to you know to the point of breaking essentially you know and he and if you if you notice every time he does this they change the rule book in the NFL because he's found the loophole to you know do a fake timeout or do a you know you know change of an uneligible receiver real quick and the loophole have to call him back in after a play it is few things you can do, but they, they change the rules after he does this because he just finds loopholes. And I don't think it's cheating. I think it's just taking advantage of something that was not that no one else has taken advantage of. You know what I mean? Right. Well, and there's the other thing about, um, you know, people used to say, because I played soccer at a very high level back in the day, and and people would say, well, man, that, that was a, a dirty play. And I'd be like, that's why they have referees, man. You know, sure, it's like sure. that. That I'm, I'm out there playing. If the ref doesn't make that call, then it's legal. You know, and sure. if it's not legal, that's what he's there for. What? You know, what's the big problem? It's a sport, uh, and players and coaches will always look 
the higher level levels you get, they will look for every single tiny advantage they can find. So, mm-hmm. uh, the who was the coach? Some coach, uh, maybe it was Bear Bryant or somebody said, "If you're not cheating, you're not trying." Um, and, and what kills what kills me too is like teams like uh, you know the Jets or like uh, you know the whole Mangini when he was the coach and he was working under Belichick for all those years. Then he also gets his own team, so now he's throwing them under the bus and all the things he was doing. You know, and it's like, it's a total shit like that that really, you know, at the end of the day, kind of, you know, gets under your skin. It's like, well, you were part of that, too. And you could, you have every opportunity to do it as well, but you're just not doing it. And why aren't you doing it? You know, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, just it's, it's, it's funny because I grew up as a, you know, when the Patriots were terrible for many, many years. And the Red Sox were always that team that, you know, everyone in the city loved. And everyone looked away at the, at the Patriots, you know, and you go everywhere, everyone's a Red Sox fan. No one even knew who the Patriots were. Now you go to it, you know, 15 years later, and everyone hates you. Like, you hate the Yankees, you know, which is hilarious. But it's, I guess if they hate you, that means you're doing something good, right? Yeah, well, it's like the Colts in Indianapolis. The Pacers were always the big thing. The Pacers, the Pacers, the Pacers. Peyton Manning comes into town and uh-huh. um, just completely changes everything. You know, it's like the Pacers, yep. who are they? And then, of course, the guy that's eating Oxycontins like they're Skittles, just kicks him to the <laughs> curb. And all the Colts fans are like, well, you know, they had to do it because they couldn't afford a defense, and he's the highest-paid player in the league. Well, look at them now. They still got the sure. highest-paid player in the league, and they still don't have a defense, and they still don't have anybody that can block for them. They just don't have Peyton Manning, and they didn't. I had this argument going on with this douchebag Indianapolis sportscaster named Ken Sterling. And I told him when that happened, I flat out told him, this is the dumbest move ever. And he's like, no, 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 it's a smart move. And now I'm like, okay, well, who made the smart move? Denver went to two Super Bowls. They got a trophy. You got nothing. Oh, it was, yeah. it was still a smart move. How can you say that? They got a trophy. You don't got anything. You can't. Uh, anyway. It, huh? No, it's true. Too. And, and, and Andrew Lux is a pretty good quarterback, too. And there's no reason he couldn't play a couple of years behind Peyton has done the study for all those, you know, so much what Jimmy G is doing now in New England, and kind of, you know, learn the game a lot better, knowing that you have a guy who's a proven veteran, a proven stud, who could actually show you how to do stuff. You know, instead of just throwing Andrew Luck in there, you know, without any NFL experience whatsoever, and expect him to, you know, produce the same exact that Peyton did. And at the end of the day, it's not going to work that way. You have to be in the system for a little while. Even Brady was in the system for two years before he got his chance to start a game, you know? so Well, the, I, it, it, the old days of the NFL, I don't care who you were. It doesn't matter. Heisman Trophy winner, doesn't matter. You held a clipboard for three or four seasons. That was just mm-hmm. the rule back in the day. And now it's like, let's get them out there as fast as they as, as can. I think the, the quarterbacks are more equipped now to get an earlier start. Yeah. But look at look at Luck. He's right now Mark Brunel 2.0. He's putting up a bunch of numbers, but his team's not doing anything. No. And, and, and I don't know. If that, it, 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 there's no – it just seems like they lost all their weapons. You know, they were a team that were a powerhouse. The defense was pretty damn good, and they had a strong offense of uh, – you know, um, a cast that supported Peyton all those years. Stuff. I mean, they were a tough team to beat. You think you seen them on the schedule. That was the team you had to beat. Now, now you look at the Broncos, the team you got to beat. But they had they had an advantage, and there's no reason they couldn't have done it the same way the Patriots have done it. And, you know, and how many ex-Patriots or ex-Colts have switched teams over the years, too, 
the Swiss moves are very similar teams, and it, it, it seems like the Colts just kind of, you know, threw all their eggs in one basket with luck instead of trying to, you know, spread the money around to try to, you know, have a team that's going to last instead of, you know, let's get this real quick. Well, the, and, reason, you know, the reason for that is, and I told this dummy in Indianapolis the same thing, you got a rookie quarterback, a rookie coach, and a rookie GM all at the same time. That is a recipe for disaster. And if anything, they should have kept the Polians because those guys have a track record of knowing how to build real stable, real competitive teams. But what do you say to people like me? Now, I, Tom Brady is awesome. I'm not saying he's not. Yeah. But there's this debate that goes on. That's what makes sports great. You know, you have these debates that he's better than Joe Montana. And I'm like a soccer fan. I mean, that's the only sport I care about. But it's like if Pele had lost a couple World Cups, they wouldn't talk about him the way they do. And he never did. And Brady, good as he is, has lost two Super Bowls. He didn't lose them. The sure. Patriots did. But to the Giants, too. But uh, and, uh, well, Monta Mont <laughs> Montana was perfect. What? Why is Brady better than Montana? I think it's a generational thing, too, and I think it's all right to have the best person or best player in a generation. You can have multiple bests. You don't have to have the best of all time because the game has changed dramatically over the years. Every decade, it seems rules are changing. The quality of play is a changing. The competition is increasing. And it's tough to say that, you know, you know, Bot style would be able to be as good as he was playing, you know, in 2017 in the NFL. It just doesn't make any sense. And I, I think that when people say the best of all times, well, you, it's taken off a grain of salt because you have to take in consideration how much different the game is when you're comparing A with B. And, you know, Brady's probably the best of this, you know, generation of players, you know, and I would say Peyton's probably a very, very close second, you know. But if you want to go back, you know, you can go into 20 years ago and now you can compare in Joe Montana with, you know, Aikman. And even Dan Marino, who's never won, who's, who's been proven to be a really one of the best quarterbacks who's played in that generation. But people don't give him the credit because he, he never won a Super Bowl. So if winning is all it's going to take to make you the best of all time, then, you know, it, that is what it is. But when you have a real sports analysis, analysis person would look at it and be like, you have to take in consideration statistics. You have to take in consideration competition. You have to consider skill level. And... You know, if, if if 10 years from now, Tom Brady's still the best of the game, you know, so he's playing until he's, you know, he's 50 years old. And then we can reevaluate what I just said and be like, well, now he's, it's transition and he is good in two generations, so maybe he is the best of all time. But I, I, I don't look at, at wins and losses alone because, you know, inevitably there's a lot of variables. I think Ted Williams is one of the best sluggers of all times, and he's never won a World Series. He's only been the one. And you really can't can, can compare them to Joe DiMaggio. The two of them were, you know, one and two during the generation when you, when you think about baseball. So, oh, I, th I think it's I, – I, 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 I would have to split it up at the, you know, time span of what a player is the best of, you know. Yeah, that, that Bart, Sp Bart Starr and his incredible uh, elusiveness in the pocket. You know, I think my dad could outrun him. Uh <laughs> And you look at that first exactly. Super Bowl, you look at the players, and you're like, is this like an intramural game or something? You know, like Max McGee. Oh, yeah. Max McGee looked like he just walked in off of his, you know, his route delivering Pepsi or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just uh, – and then you got guys like Terry Bradshaw, 
who was a great quarterback. Oh, don't, yeah. don't get me wrong. But if you look at his statistics, or even if you look at um, Troy Aikman's statistics, I mean, Bradshaw won four Super Bowls, but his stats, because he had that great running game, they're not that great. Uh, Aikman, yeah, Aikman's sure. the same way. You kind of get put in a system, and you might not have that 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 going for you. Peyton Manning, to me, is like a computer on a football field. I mean, yeah. whether you think Brady's better or he's better, I mean, if you switch the two players out, I mean, I think it's it's the whole Colts thing was all Peyton Manning. It was all, hey, we've got this tremendous advantage at the line of scrimmage, calling plays, recognizing defenses. He's, he's just like a computer out there. Brady, much better athlete, uh, much better uh, supporting cast. I don't care what anybody says, and much better coach behind him so that's that's i you know i like both of them i don't care i don't you know and the deflate gate thing to me it was such a joke yeah. when it was going on it was like uh, you know ridiculous. well in the in defense of anybody who's on the deflate gate side if i think if brady would have come out and just said yeah of course we like to know what the inflation of the footballs is and i of course i like yeah. them a little softer what's the big deal i think it would have gone away i think the nfl got its hackles up because you know, he didn't just do what they wanted and kiss the ring and say, you know, mm -hmm. that. Um, but let's well, water under the bridge. It doesn't even matter. I think it's great that he, had, you know, they suspend him for four games and then he goes out and wins a Super Bowl. Um, what do you, where, pretty funny, yeah. where are you on some of the players for the Patriots saying they're not going to attend the presidential reception? I, I, I kind of wrote a, I wrote a little article about it on the packy, um, but a few weeks ago, and I, I kind of I I I'm against it. I was I was upset with Brady when he didn't go. You know, two years ago, um, I'm upset with the players who say they're not going now. I don't think it's so much. If, I think political party and how you believe the country should be ran is a little bit that should be separated from you know getting the greatest honor honor of your life to go to the White House. I mean, I think it's pretty. You know. I think it's a huge thing. What, what do you believe or do you agree with what whoever's in charge's ideas um, and how they should run the country and their beliefs and stuff like that? I think that should all be left outside. And I think if you're being invited by the president, it's probably the greatest invitation you'll ever get in your life. And I think you should do it. And if you don't, you just kind of look at an ass, you know? Well, that um, it's, a, it's a team thing, too. When, it is a when team thing, absolutely. Mar Martellus Bennett, who we had down here, in Dallas for a while, when he said he wasn't going, that didn't bother me because I'm like that mm -hmm. guy. As much as I love him, and uh, I don't know if he's on the radio up up there, he was on down here, and he was great, man. He's he's a he's yeah. a fun guy, but he's also kind Funny of guy, yeah. also kind of a Fruit Loop, you know. It was like mm -hmm. uh, he may not be going just because he's got you know arranged to play PlayStation with somebody, or you know, it, <laughs> it, it wouldn't yeah. matter. Um, but uh, to me, it's also a team thing. It's like, hey, this True. is a team function, and the team is going. Um, but that's the world we live in, I guess. Do you really think this is one of the most greatest Super Bowls ever that we just had? I'd say it's, it's, it's got to be up there. Um, the, in the last 10 years, there's been some really good Super Bowls. I remember uh, when uh, the, the Cardinals were up by, you know, a touchdown, and then, you know, Rossberger comes back at like minutes left in the game to win that game, and you know as much as I, was, I hate being a losing end of the two Giants Super Bowls, I mean there were some miraculous catches at the end of that game that you know made that game really really special towards the end. Um, and I, I'd say even though you know, the pass came back what twenty eight points at one point, um, I think 
that that game was all fourth quarter, end of the game. I think as a whole, it wasn't the greatest Super Bowl ever played. I think it was, if anything, it would be maybe the greatest choke in Super Bowl history, more on the Falcon side. Um, I still think that the Patriots' first Super Bowl in 2002, in the 2001 season against uh, the Rams, was probably one of the best Super Bowls of all time because they were a, a, a two-decimal um, underdog for that game. I mean, they were supposed to, they were like a 14-point underdog going into that game. And they came back and won for seconds left of the clock to kick a field goal. And I think that's a little more special because that game was that game was a you know a gun show that whole entire time. They were going back and forth on that one. And it was entertaining. And you're on the edge of your seat the entire game. And you didn't know what was going to happen until, you know, Ben and Terry goes and kicks that field goal. But I, 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 I would say it's more of a greatest choke of all time than greatest Super Bowl as a whole at all time. Yeah, I got I got in a lot of trouble because the day after the game, you know, everybody's still basking in the afterglow, and I'm like, that was two super crappy halves of football. Is what it was. It was one team yeah. just beat the snot out of one for a half, and the other one beat the snot out of another. I I agree with you. Those back and forth and back and forth and back and forth games are the great Super Bowls. You know, the, Absolutely. the that's that's really what makes it. Um, <laughs> in terms of the packy. If you need anybody to, to to be your writer for the New England Revolution and chronicle their continuing not winning the MLS Cup, um, I'd be happy oh, yeah. to do that for you. Um, you know, absolutely. If you don't mind, uh, we could use a soccer guy because I, I watch it very. Uh, it, it, it's the fifth sport in Boston. I actually was today I was looking at Revolution tickets to see if I because I've never been to a game before and uh, they had a. Actually, I don't even know who it was, but on the sports radio here, one of the soccer players was on this one. And I was listening to it, and I was like, oh, you know what? I've never been to a Revs game. They look cool on TV. They have a little bit of a following, you know? But, um, I mean, aren't they the Buffalo Bills of uh, MLS, when you think about it? Well, pretty much. And the thing of it is, and, you know, I'm in, again, a lot of trouble with the people at MLS because in every league in the world, the championship – Okay, every soccer, big soccer league in the world has exactly 20 teams. And you play every team at home and you play them away. And at the end of the season, you know, it's kind of like the NHL. You get three points for a win, one point for a tie, zero points for a loss. At the end of the season, the team with the most points is the champion of the league. The, The playoff, as we call it over here, is a cup competition. And it's not bad to win that. It's It's a cool thing. But it's like the NCAA yeah. tournament. It's the team that gets hot at the end of the season. Is and, and MLS says that's our champion. So a lot of purists like myself go, you know what? You know, I, I don't buy it that one team can be the best to show their domination throughout the league against all teams. And for whatever reason, they may not get through. The uh, Houston Dynamo, who I used to work for, they beat okay. the Revs in one of those finals and the revs have always been a you know they've had their really poor years but they're one of the original major league soccer teams they've been there from since the very start and yeah they've never ever ever won it they've been god four times five times and uh they just don't get it done it's too bad too because one of my very favorite american players was taylor twelman who's on espn now and and other outlets as a soccer journalist and he's really good he's awesome you should get his twitter feed he's really funny guy and he he was awesome for the revolution and uh the one year he scores a goal with like a minute left and the dynamo get the ball kick it down the other end of the field and put one in and then they go to penalties and uh the revolution lose it 
It's uh, they had a goal, they had a goalkeeper forever in um, New England named Matt Reese, big giant ball oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. He was incredible, and and again, they never ever win it. Well, anyway, that go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was gonna say, why do you think that soccer doesn't have doesn't have the pull in this country that other countries have? Is it because of that, you know, idea of their playoffs and how you win, or is it it's just because it's too slow paced? I mean, baseball is falling off the face of the earth right now in this country because of the slow pace. Is it because is Americans just want something fast, fast, fast? Like, as a soccer guy, what, I mean, what do you think Artie. is the reason it's not? Artie, Artie, Artie. That is a misnomer. There, there's a couple of things at play there. Number one is that. Soccer hasn't been predominantly spread throughout the United States. You know, the Major League Soccer is in its 22nd year. But soccer really started in this country, other than on the East Coast where you live. They've had it forever. And in St. Louis and in certain other very small places. When I was a kid, Pele came here. And that's what made the boom happen. There, there's a great, great documentary you should watch uh, about the New York Cosmos. It's Cosmos. It's called Once in a Lifetime. And the Cosmos were the first team to sell out Giant Stadium. That's where they played. And, and they would average four, 44 grand per match. Now, that, that league folded, but it, it kind of planted the seeds for guys like me that grew up playing and coaching. So now you got guys my age who are like parents. And now it is really catching on. You may not know this, but Major League Soccer per game outdraws the NBA and the NHL. And it's growing every... Oh, yeah, it's been true for five years or so. It's growing every year. The attendance grows every single year. The Seattle Sounders, they average over 40,000 fans per match. Yeah, that place is just, wow. just crazy up there. And the league average is about, it's over 20,000. And they built these soccer stadiums. All the, so you know, that's the other thing. They used to have to play soccer in these giant football stadiums, which yeah. e even in Europe, there's some places that have stadiums that big. But most European soccer grounds are about 20, 25,000 people. And well, the Rebs still play at Gillette, and they have to close the, all the upper deck when they have games there just to make it seem a little more homely, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it kind of sucks when you play in that environment. And for a long time, the sport that I played, uh, indoor soccer, was the only play, way, way you could play professionally in this country um, because the NASL collapsed in 84, and you didn't have another league until 96. Well, um, okay. so soccer is actually growing and becoming more and more popular. Uh, the problem is we don't have that, that, you know, generation by generation tradition. Also people in the United States actually love European soccer. Today we had champions yeah. league, league matches all day and, and people will really get into that. American soccer has to figure out how to turn that into, I want to go support my local club all across the board. But in general, uh, you know, major league soccer just did something I think was a bad idea. Um, they're talking about adding 12 more teams over the next three to five years. And I think that is a terrible idea. But I think they have to because also yeah. in the other countries of the world, they have something called promotion and relegation. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but if you're one of the bottom three teams in the very highest division of soccer, you get mm -hmm. dropped down to the next I division. And then the... Yes, the, the okay top teams from the other one get promoted up into the next highest league. So imagine the the 
Pawtucket Red Sox have a hot year and they get, <laughs> you know, in the, the uh, you know, the, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays finish last. The, the Sox go up, you know, American owners are never going to go for that ever, ever, ever. No. But I think if they were smart, they would they would do that because the, the second divisions of soccer are actually doing well as well. So it's something that's going to continue to grow. It, you, you watch. There's too many kids playing. You know, you know as well as I do. All little kids play soccer now. Little League oh, yeah. baseball, right. Little League football participation is down, except here in Texas where, you know, football is always, always going to be king down here in Texas, man. That's, that's what they make football and baseball play. It's down in Texas, right? Yeah, in yeah. Florida. Yeah, well, the, the only thing we got going for us for soccer down here is the our tremendous Hispanic community. And, uh, you know, guys like Clint Dempsey, who's a, a guy yeah. that played over in Europe and whatnot, he is from Texas. So there's still a lot of a really great uh, soccer players coming from Texas. But, you know, when I was growing up, it was like, you know, soccer – is not really a sport. All the sportscasters would say that. And then there's still a lot of that, too. There's still a lot of people that, you know, you listen to some, you know, Opie and Anthony or something when it was on, and they would really be cracking on soccer like it's not really a sport. Um, I about got lynched a couple years ago because I was on a Dallas sports station, and they were giving me hassle about soccer, and I finally just told them, I'm like, look, it's a, American football is a 60-minute sport that takes three hours to play. There's only 11 minutes of actual competition in it. And, <laughs> um, and then I'm getting into, well, I'll ask you, what's the most important thing to do in a football game? American. Um, get a touchdown. I mean, I mean playing yeah. game? Like, the ball. Well, at the end of the game, you've got to have more points than the other team. That's the only yeah. thing. You can outgain the other team. You can do everything right. If you don't have as many points as they do at the end of the game, forget it. You lost. Well, if you look at the NFL's top 20 scorers of all time, they're all kickers. And all but, kickers, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all but two of them, George Blanda and Lou Groza. Blanda, of course, was a quarterback at times, and so he played another position. Lou Groza was like – you know, one of those guys back in the day, they'd get defensive linemen to be the kickers, and they'd you know kick with their toe, until yeah. a couple soccer players came along and told them how to kick the ball. the The field goal rate was like forty one percent in the NFL. And well, the Patriots' top three scores of all time are three kickers: Kaskowski, uh, Venetari, and uh, Gino Capoletti. Those are, I mean, they scored more points than anyone else in the history of the franchise. Yeah, and it's like. Where would you be without those guys? You know, and and most of them were are all soccer players. They used to say it; they don't anymore. Because when I started watching football, there was still a ton of straight on kickers, man, a ton of them playing in the NFL. And these guys came along that could kick what they called soccer style. They don't ever say that anymore, you know. So it's like you know, every time American football players give me nonsense about that, I'm like, hey, without the soccer style kickers, you would not have you know, 55, 60 yard field goals, you know, 85% completion rates. Uh, so let's not, let's not be so evil about soccer, but you're going to see soccer is going to continue to grow and grow and grow and grow, particularly with all the, you know, well, we'll see how things continue, but with all the, uh, the Hispanic population that's booming in this country, people are going to start having to go to their local community, support your local soccer team. 
And uh, yeah. I'm glad to see. I think the Revs are building a new stadium, and I, I'm glad to see that because I would like well, to they, see them win the championship. They're trying to. They, the, the problem with the Revs that they they had a couple ideas for stadiums. A couple of them were on the North Shore. They had land staked out firm and stuff and ready to go. Um, they've been really trying to get them out of Gillette for years at this point, and they want it. The problem is they don't want to build down Gillette because the the parking is too valuable to put a stadium in for football games, um, which is kind of contradictory because uh, Kraft there built a giant shopping mall where it was parking at one point. <laughs> so I, mean, I don't know if that's saying much about what he feels about the Rebs or anything like that, but um, they were trying to, I think, bring them to the North Shore where there's a high minority popul- population, um, a lot more followers, you know, of um, of the team and stuff. And it seems like the two cities were supposed to Rivera and they were supposed to build it in Somerville, which are two North Shore cities. And they were both were shut down. Um, everyone comes to the excuse, like, oh, it's going to be traffic. Well, it's going to be traffic after every game, you know? Um, and I, I, they're still trying to get them a stadium because I think they're one of the only teams in the MLS that don't have their own stadium, I think. I mean, yes. I look around and I'm like, no, they I are. Games, they're, they're, yeah, it's terrible. Well, we call them soccer-specific stadiums, and yeah, they're one. Uh, technically, Seattle doesn't have one, but that facility was was kind of built for a lot of different things. And by the way, they put 44,000 people in it every game, so it doesn't really matter now. Drew Carey yeah. is actually on their, their board of advisors. They got a cool thing going where every four years, the fans get to vote on what changes they want to make to the team. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, the dude that owns the Red Sox, or maybe he used to own the Red Sox, he's one of the owners of Liverpool over in England. I mean, yep. that, which is a, yep. a gi- yep. giant club. And Gillette and Tom Hicks, I think, who used to own the um, Stars and the Rangers down here, uh, also owned a team over there, which I think was Liverpool as well. So uh, there's a lot of American ownership. The guy that's the chief dude at um, Arsenal is is an American the the guy that's the um there's another uh, american ownership group um oh manchester united is actually owned by the guys that own the tampa bay buccaneers so um you know it's that's it's funny. it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it's just going to continue to do that and also it's worth it now for athletes to look at soccer because the salaries certainly aren't what they are in other european leagues or in the nfl nba or major league baseball but you there's dudes making you know, Clint Dempsey's making what three, four, five million a year playing, and uh, it's not like it was even ten years ago, where a guy could be one of the best players in MLS and be making you know eighty thousand bucks if he didn't get the yeah. right contract signing up. So, well, anyway, enough of that sports stuff. You're also a stand-up comic. What made you want right. to do stand-up comedy? Uh, you know what? It's always been something I wanted to do. Um... I should have done it earlier than I did. I, I, I did about 10 years later than I was supposed to. Oh, I should have done it when I was in high school, um, early college. And it was just a fair to get on stage. And, you know, I did radio and all that stuff to kind of, you know, suppress that urge. And then one day I was just walking around Boston after doing a radio show and popped into an open mic. It's like three years ago, four years ago. And uh, I just went on and I had no material. I kind of just, you know, riffed. And uh, I got over the fear of being on stage and then, Every comic I've talked to after that says ninety percent of it is just getting over your fear of being on stage. The rest of it, if you're funny naturally, it'll be pretty smooth. And uh, it, it, 
we were talking earlier about how you said that, um, you know, sports players becoming comics. And, you know, you even see with rock stars like John Mayer goes up there and does stand-up comedy. It's like, you know, comics, all comics want to be is something else. You know, they want to get in the radio. They want to get into the movies and act. And it seems like everyone else just wants to be a comic. You know, it's funny <laughs> yeah. how the two worlds kind of, yeah. you know. And being a comic, I mean, being a professional comic is a tough life. And then you really make it. I mean, it would have been creepy-ass, smelly, you know, comedy condos with four other comics that you don't know. And there's hookers and drugs and all types of craziness going on. And. You're doing this for, you know, you could be doing it your entire comedian career, you know. And, and they, they, it's a glamorous life that people, you know, think, and, you know, it's it's, it's, a, it's tough. And the toughest part is, you know, you can do your routine. I've done this once before. I did the same routine. It's like a 10-minute set, the same night, two different shows. First show, absolutely killed it. The crowd was great. Everything worked. You know, it was a really good crowd. With the same cast of comics, we went on for like a 9.30 show a few hours later. It, everyone just ate their ass. It was terrible. It was just, it, it, it's it's so you you don't know what you're gonna get when you go on there. It could be anything, you know. Yeah. Something you could think it's totally not funny. It's hilarious that night, and then you do it the next night, and it just dies. It's it's. I actually I get I kind of get off on bombing on stage. <laughs> I, I, I I if I can bomb, I'm just gonna blow this place off. Like I'm just gonna sink this ship and see how low I can go and because it gives you kind of a feeling of when you get off like a, you kind of jump back you're like alright if that's the worst it's going to be then, then the next time it's going to be better yeah, right? yeah. well so, and, and then there's also that part of it because you know I don't know if you know this I used to be a stand-up comic and yes, professionally think, yeah. toured for like three years and oh, um, yeah 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 back in the day and um, you know when when you said it perfectly, and I've told lots of people this same exact thing that you said. You could do the same exact, you know, and it's not that you do your your routine as well every time. You know when you do it right, and when you do it with a yeah. you know a few hiccups, or you didn't put the emphasis where it should be, or your energy wasn't in it. But you could do the identical mm-hmm. performance to two different crowds. One of them, you're a god. The other one, you're not even getting a little nervous laughter. And I always got this thing that was like, okay, if you're going to be that way, then I'm going to start going after the audience. You know, I, I was just yeah. like, F, oh, it, yeah. F it. If if I'm going to stand up here and endure this torture, I'm taking a few of you with me. And, uh, no, and then started in on the crowd work and just like, uh, you know, uh, hey, excuse me, sir. I just a little tip. This isn't part of my act. Gravy is not a beverage. Okay. Look into it. <laughs> And and just I loved it when they would start booing. The booing would be just like, oh yeah, that's music to my ears. Um, I like it. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a definite thing. And you are like in and Boston's always been this way. I mean, always. Boston is the mega epicenter of stand up comedy. Uh, I'm not saying that Boston has the best comics ever because, you know, New York comics are great. There's some LA comics. Great. But Boston is a town that has always supported stand-up comedy. I mean, there's a ton of comedy clubs there. It's it's like serious about stand-up comedy. What's it like to work, you know, in in that environment? It's, it's pretty intense because I was living in D.C. for a few months and, you know, I did a show or two down there. And just doing like an open mic, is very competitive in Boston. Um, this is one that I do occasionally that when you get there at sign-up, you're already 30 people deep. And it's just the sign-up's open because there's so many people that go there regularly, they get priority of you. 
and it's, it's intense. I mean, you, I sat there one night at that show, you know, I got there at eight, didn't get on until like quarter of one. So it's, people take it seriously. Um, the people who really go out, you know, five out of seven nights a week end up doing pretty well. Um, you get to just, it's, it's, you get to be serious about it, but you can't take yourself too serious at the same time. Um, and you don't burn bridges because some smuck that, you know, you didn't think was too funny all of a sudden gets a show that he hosts, you know, every Thursday night. And now he becomes your best friend because now you get that uh, stage time that you you always want. It's all about the stage time at the end of the day. It's like, how many how many minutes can I get in a week, you know? Well, and, that, uh, and it's cutthroat. that and, like, people don't realize that was the thing about stand-up comedy. It's like, I'm doing, I don't know how much time you know, I'm 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 traveling. Yeah. I'm I'm sitting. Hold on a second. Get broken into. Sorry about that. Somebody came to my door. I'm leaving that in this show. There's two guys wanting to sell me, <laughs> sell me electric electric service. You know, um, Get out of here. going door to door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's it's Dallas for you. Um, at any rate, um, uh-huh. it, it, you know, you're in that that van going from Shreveport to Jackson, Mississippi, to play the Sheridan because they have a stand up comedy night or something, and you're doing all this yeah. stuff finding a place to get your clothes washed, doing all this stuff so you can do 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 10 sometimes minutes if you're the, yeah. the MC that night. And it's like, man, comedy is hell. The the uh, comedy club owners, oh, come on, yeah. the, the people that manage the club, you know, show starts at 9, but get here at 6 o'clock. I don't want yeah, you exactly. guys, you know, and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, well, you can order any appetizer off the menu, just one. That's, you know, for free. That's it. Um, all that stuff. People think it's this glamorous life. And, uh, you know, it's not. It's you, no. you got to be serious about it. Or worse yet, I did a um, uh, cruise ship. And oh, that, God. that's the worst because you do your act and you're trapped. You can't even, like, yeah. leave your room because everybody wants to come up and talk to you and bug you the whole time and everything else. Yeah. Um, you know, your current radio show is really cool. I love it. That The round table of comics that you have there yeah. and the stuff you talk about is just – it's it's really, really awesome. How's that going? It's good. And, I mean, I've been doing something in that form for the last, I don't know, 12 years, 10 years, since I was in college. And uh, about five years ago, we I had a comic come on the show as I as became a regular guest and he started just bringing in friends that he met at the open mics and stuff. And I go, you know, it's a good idea. Let's bring a comic in there and see what it is. Cause some comedians are really, really good on stage, and, but they're very scripted and they know what they're going to do. And there's others that are really good improv. So when you bring them on the show, you really don't know what you're going to get. It's kind of like a mixed bag. And sometimes, you know, they're very, very you know productive with the show and they're funny and they, they, they flow very well. And sometimes the awkwardness is actually funny because, these people are so, you know, scripted on stage doing their jokes when they come to a forum where it's all improv, essentially. I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty much all improv. We we have a little few things that we talk about to get to, and at the end of the day, that, that show just flows on its own. Sometimes it's 
goes well. Sometimes it's we're struggling for material, but it, it's it's cool because a lot of these comics I, I end up like uh, I've done shows with before, and you know, and or I, I've gotten shows from having someone the show as well. You know, you kind of help you help me, but um, it is an interesting format, and it really I think it kind of loosens them up a little bit and lets them like kind of be more you know relaxed and talk about what they want to talk. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, what is it about comics that they love to sit around and talk about being a comic? I, I mean, I, I've never been in a profession before where everybody just yeah. sits and talks about every single... And because because you're a comic, you analyze everything. Every single... Comics yeah. gen, generally are people with really good observational skills. And so you're sitting there and you're just down to the tiny, tiny, tiny details, talking about everything about being a comic. Yeah. I think it's because it's, it's one of those things where it's like instant uh, uh, instant gratitude, uh, gratification, I should say. It's like someone t- you tell a joke, someone laughs, you instantly get the, you know, the feeling of, oh, I did something good. And I think it's also uh, a, a thing to do that people get instant, you know, you know, I don't, you know, hate or instance like you know sadness like as you could say you can go from happy to sad in the middle of, in a matter of 15 seconds and i think the rush of that emotional roller coaster that you can experience in stage is something that really like takes like i i, I enjoy it i think it's, it's, it's a really it's, it's a crazy rush and i like talking about it because it's like you talk because everyone has stories too everyone has like you remember one time i was in this place and you know in tampa florida this happened or you know one time you know someone had late into labor in the middle of my show you know so you can never know what you're gonna get yeah well it's it's uh have you ever had anybody come up to you after you've done your your set and like like you know read you the riot act about something you said and and um not on the not doing not doing stand-up but i've definitely gotten some after my podcast after i released it about stuff i talked to and indirectly people came up and said stuff that they didn't like or liked about it. But I, like I explained to them, like I explained to anyone who has, who wants to criticize comedy, it's, it's comedy. It's meant to be funny. And if you don't find it funny, then that's fine. It's not your cup of tea, but there's other people that may find it funny. And if you don't like it, then maybe that's not your type of comedy. Maybe you should go and watch Ellen DeGeneres because maybe that's more up your speed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's just, you can't criticize someone from trying to be funny and saying something, and if you don't, you know, agree with it, then you know it's fine. I'm, you know, you're not going to make a hundred percent of the people happy. And I, then you know, you just don't listen to them anymore. You know, I, I, I can't ever. You know, I get, I used to get it all the time because of the kind of act I did. You know, I'd get off the stage. Now I got yeah. a lot of people that would come up and you know they want to buy you a drink and talk to you and all that, and that's cool, that's fun. But I would get. You know, I'm not going to say they were all women, but okay, they were all women. They would come up to me and just really be mad. And I would be yeah. like, you do realize you came into a comedy club. One might suspect that <laughs> not everything I said was meant to be taken seriously. You know, it's exactly. like you're, you're putting way too much into that. Um, it, it's uh, it, it's a, it's an odd thing. How do you develop your, your act? Do you have like a certain set? amount of stuff that's the same uh how do you how do you like the first time you did it they probably gave you five minutes and then at a certain time they give you 10 minutes and and yeah. uh how do you develop your material 
I have kind of, I, I kind of write the jokes out, and then when I know ahead of time how much I'm going to have, I kind of, I like to link them together. I like to be a flow in the jokes. Some kind of really, uh, it's kind of like writing. You kind of want your paragraphs to flow into each other, and that's kind of like I like my act. Um, some people like the output completely opposite. Some people just, you know, spit fire jokes back and forth. Um, but I, I kind of write it as a flow. I try to relate the jokes. I try to bring back stuff. Um, I did I took several improv classes, and when I was doing that, that was one of the things that they teach you in improv is always try to bring stuff back into your act at the end. Um, and then I have versions of jokes. I have like a five-minute version of a joke or a two-minute version of a joke, and, you know, it, it, so it, it all depends, you know, and then sometimes I have a, I don't know, like a set that I'm going to do that I totally just don't do. You know, once you're on stage and you're feeling flow of the crowd, you realize that your set's going to, you know, be absolutely nothing. You might as well just, uh, you know, either work, do some crowd work, or kind of just, you know, add live or work on some new stuff. So it's, it's completely random. And I, I, every time I go in with a set, I, I almost never go out of it, you know, verbatim what I was supposed to say, but it happens, you know, it's part of the fun, I guess. Yeah. Well, so do you um, uh, like hecklers or do you not like hecklers? I don't mind them. I think it's funny. I kind of, well, I'm, I'm kind of like really passive aggressive of them. <laughs> if I do get them, I kind of just like say, yeah, you know, I really do suck. I'm like, you know, I kind of just, I kind of, you kind of just insult yourself and go along with it. And then that way you're kind of embracing it and it kind of takes them off guard a little bit. So instead of just firing back at them, because I, I feel really uncomfortable in this comics firing back at people in the crowd. It's just like, there. it's like an argument. It's like being at a dinner table and, you know, all of a sudden the spaghetti hits the wall, you know, and everyone just, it's very awkward. It's awkward for everyone. But I think if you kind of embrace it or you kind of you know, play off of it, I think everyone can enjoy it a little bit better because all the crowd's not feeling uncomfortable that you're feeling uncomfortable. And I think it kind of actually brings it all home. And then actually at the end of the day, it makes the person high look like an ass and everyone else kind of just joins it. Instead of you, you know, like uh, what Michael Rich did a few years ago, like that's like, uh, that's when you just totally lost it. And, and all of a sudden it just looks terrible. You know, and no one enjoyed the show. It just became, it was just, it was a plane that literally crashed into the ocean. Or you could embrace the heckler and you could be like Sully and nicely land the, the plane in the Hudson and everyone walks away. You know, you could look at it both ways. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mind them, really. I, in fact, I, I kind of got to a point where I, would, I wouldn't totally derail my act, but if there was a persistent heckler, it's like, the, I think there's stages. I think, I think a little bit of heckling, sometimes somebody will say something funny, or sometimes somebody will say something you, you can play off of that's funny. And if they're that real jerk, they're going to keep doing it. And so you can kind of, in stages, start to... You know, the first thing they say, you kind of go along with the second thing they say, you you know, and then eventually you're like, so would you like some attention this evening? Because if you would yeah, like some I attention, I would be happy to give you some attention. And, and, you know, because I think you're being kind of a jerk. And by the time all the rest of these people leave here tonight, they're going to think that, too. And, and then you just yeah. keep up and up and up and up and you re refer all of your jokes back to that person and you just keep... It well, I was going to say, you have to acknowledge it, too. I hate, I hate the people that kind of just plow through their act and not acknowledge it. You have to acknowledge it because it's just awkward when you know it, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and there's different kinds of hecklers. There's the, the, the drunk guy that doesn't mean anything by it. There's the people at the table that you, you describe somebody that you ran into and everybody at the table, oh, that's this guy, that's this guy. That's technically heckling, cause they're, but, yeah. it, but it's, it's not bad heckling. It's the guy that, that just 
wants to, you know, be the comedian. And uh, there's a there's a bit that uh, really great uh, New York comedian named Vic DiBattetto, uh does. You might want to look it up. It's called Comedian Etiquette. And, and okay. he, he goes through all the ways you're supposed to act. If you know a comedian, if you're at a comedy club, club and he even says at one point he goes there's a reason they don't hand out microphones at the door you know and 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 it's that that sort of feeling okay so two more things one of which is the lightning rounds a bunch of questions i ask a lot of people not everybody um and then and then if you want to try and tell that story in a short version you can or we can just wave it off it's it's really up to you because it's kind of a long story but it's so funny it is a long story you know, what? I don't think a short, I don't think short would, would give it justice. I, I think there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot of build up to it. It's so funny. Um, okay, the lightning. Love to have you, you, I was gonna say, have you on again, and we'll, we'll, we'll dedicate a little 15 minute block just on that, because there's more stories like that that go along with it too. So oh, okay. There's, there's a lot. All right. Yeah, there's a pre sequel and a you know you know sequel that goes along with it. So. Well, I'll have you back like really soon, so people don't think I was you know. screwing them over or whatever but the lightning round is uh just some questions you may have answered some of these uh but uh they're very quick and there's not many of them so uh first car first car you ever had a yellow jeep wrangler that is correct uh first album you ever (laughs) first album you ever bought with your own money um it was uh a green day dookie that is correct. And do you know that is the most popular answer for that question ever? Like, oh. I, I, I would say about half the people I ask, I ask the question, that's what they say. Uh, I don't know why. Oh, um, that's interesting. You're starting a new pro baseball team. Who in all of baseball history is your first pick? Who? Uh, and it's, this is the player during its prime span, not – 50-year-old player at this time, but, like, the player at the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Roger Clemens. That is correct. What's the first concert you ever went to? Concert was, uh, oh, good one. I think it was Blink-182. That is correct. Uh, When they make Your Life Story, the Artie 84 story, into a major motion picture... We all know they're gonna. Who other than you will play you? Ben, ben Affleck. That is correct. <laughs> that's that's pretty much the lightning round. How can people learn more about you and uh, the Packy and everything else? How can they stay in touch with you on social media and all that stuff? Uh, you can be on uh, Twitter and Instagram at DJ Adi eighty four. That's uh, Adi with a Y A R Q Y. Um, withadi.com is where I'll blog in. Uh, it's a direct link to the baseball uh, beat writer story I'm doing. You can also find it on thepacky.com. They all bring you to the same place. And uh, you can check me out live every um, Tuesday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time on uh, wemfradio.com for the Adi 84 show. Awesome. Well, I wish you the best of success with your beat writer deal. I'm pretty sure... If you do that for a while, one of these websites is going to pick you up to be their Boston Red Sox guy. And a lot of times they, that comes credentialed. You know, they, the, yeah. the teams are starting to look at the websites and go, hey, that, we need to, to credential these people. 
might not get to travel with the team, but you'll definitely get into all the press conferences and stuff like that. Uh, so That'd best, be nice. best of success. And we're going to have you back really soon to tell that story and some others. Do you still have that yes. particular episode up somewhere where I can get to it and put a link to it? I do. Uh, like I sent it to you. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure where, what episode number it was, but um, it I was, definitely. Uh, I think it, it was number one or number two of your doing that little video thing that you were you were experimenting oh. with. Yeah, it was up yeah, over it Facebook. Was coming to me. Um, I, I think at weirdzaddy.com, or the, it's definitely on the Packy. You can get it on the Packy on the podcast, the ID84 show. I think it's episode two. I, okay. think, I think you're right. Okay, I will I will find it, and I will put a link to it, uh, because <laughs> awesome. people, people really need to, to hear that story. Uh, thanks for taking the time, and uh, we'll hope to talk to you again real soon. Awesome. Thanks, Paul, for everyone. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're listening to The Tom Gully Show. You'll find our snack bar chock full of good things to eat and drink. Tasty, tempting hot dogs, thirst-quenching soft drinks, fresh, crunchy popcorn. You've plenty of time, so visit the snack bar now. Just send an email to tom at thetomgullyshow.com. We'd like to thank RD84 of thepacky.com, amongst other things that he does. You can hear the hilarious story of his visit to a Florida wedding by going to thetomgullyshow.com and heading for this podcast posting. There'll be a link there. It's an extremely funny tale. And also check out his postings on thepacky.com. That's P-A-C-K-I-E. As uh, he tries to become a beat writer for the Boston Red Sox, even... A Yankee fan will appreciate them. Folks, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share this on your various Facebook pages. Trying to spread the word means trying to spread our little show here. We'd appreciate it if you'd like the Tom Gully Show, not me, but the show on Facebook as well, if the mood strikes you. And of course, there's always the TomGullyShow.com. That's where you can find out everything about the show. And then there's the Tom Gully Show store, which still isn't back up. I should probably explain that. You know, uh, we had a Cafe Press store, and there was lots and lots of items in the store. And because the store was up for so long, the, the items that they had got switched out for newer items on a lot of stuff. So I have to go back in and redo everything, and I haven't, haven't gotten around to that, so... I know I've had people ask about T-shirts and hats and clocks and I I get to it. Uh, Those of you who do have that stuff, they're all collector's items right now. Soon they won't be when the store reopens, but right now they are. So and we always encourage you to subscribe on iTunes for free because if it's free, it's for me. Follow us on Twitter at Atomic Palooka. So I can increase my clout and cred ratings because if I get enough points, we're all going to go to the aces. And by the way, the interruption that you heard during the program, uh, 
was two guys, you know, it was late at night, uh, beating on my door. I don't know about where you live, but in the area I live in, there's like the main electricity company. Okay. And then there's a bunch of other little companies due to deregulation that can sell you electricity. And this guy beats on my door like three times when I'm trying to do the show. And I put a card on the outside of where I live that says on the air, do not disturb. And these guys just kept beating on the door while I'm trying to do this interview. And I I don't know how much of it you can hear, but I open the door and say, why are you beating on my door? Can't you read? Oh, well, we want to talk to you about your electricity. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm busy. And by the way, when you beat on somebody's door like three or four times, what do you think the odds are of you closing a sale? What do you you think the chance is that I'm going to go, oh, thank you for disturbing me. How can I possibly help you out? Gosh, your company's putting such a good foot forward by uh, being a harassing moron that I'm anxious to do business with you. I can't imagine... Uh, the great customer service and other benefits I'll receive from your organization after this little interaction. Dolt. So anyway, I left it in the show. I refuse to take it out. You know, I hope I hope you're happy. That'll do it for tonight. Oh wait, have I got all that done? Yeah, I do. We're all going to go to the aces. A couple people have actually emailed in that they know what that means, and I appreciate that. Uh, that'll do it for tonight. I'm out of here. i got to go talk to some people. I'll talk to you much, much later. Each night, Jay Johnson brings us in with the Truth Wagon. Go to jjohnsonmusic.com, and each night we take you out with Russell Alexander and the Hitman Blues Band, because that's how we roll. And we will see you next time. Can't lift a twig for a dog that's nothing big, but he don't want to. And the dog can't grab a cat, a raccoon can do all that, but he don't want to. And I dream of you at night while you hold your baby tight, but he don't want to. can see it in his eyes from the way he tells you lies he don't want you he stays at work too long and you beg him to come home but he don't want to